What's the opposite of thankfulness? Ungratefulness. You know, and I think the world is full of ungrateful people. I think that's at the heart of a, of all these things, actually. Narcissism, arrogance, disobedient to parents, being conceited, being hateful, being boastful. Good day, good day, Kingdom Corner podcast followers and devotees. The great Matt Geib is back with you once again. Happy New Year. I am back for the new year, 2024, and we're back on the podcast today. And we're going to be continuing on with a series that we started uh, some time ago, back in December, called Cultivating an Attitude of Gratitude. And we have a couple more lessons to go through on the study as we're looking into it. And today I want to talk about obstacles or hindrances to thankfulness. Obstacles or hindrances to thankfulness. And as I was thinking about this, I do remember when we started this, we spent some time talk about, talking about what it was to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. And we talked about that word cultivate and what it meant to turn up the soil. And we're talking about planting good things. And then I was also remembering how when you're planting, when you're beginning to plant a garden or plant in the fields, you want to remove the rocks and the weeds. And so as we start this new year, uh, this lesson specifically, we talked about all the positive things. Let's just review for a minute. We talked about that the word gratitude was not really in the Word of God. You couldn't go to a concordance and find it in the King James Bible. But the concept or different meanings of that word are found throughout Scripture. And the one word that was used a lot was grace or favor. Uh, loving kindness, goodwill, that's what the word meant, cheris, cheris. Loving kindness, favor, or goodwill uh, with divine influence behind that, that favor. And then from that word, I began to go into this further and began to share with you synonyms of what gratitude really meant. And there are synonyms for gratitude in the Word of God. These words here would make up our definition of what gratitude means. Honor or glory, blessing, thankfulness, thanksgiving, rejoice or rejoicing, and praise. Those are the what we call the five words or the tribe of gratitude. When we're looking at gratitude, those are the things, those are the attributes, those are the traits that encompass what it is to act out or live in an atmosphere or live in a life of gratitude, which is also, we could also define those words as being synonymous with worship. If you're living in glory, blessing, thankfulness, thanksgiving, rejoicing, rejoicing, and praise, you're living uh, a life of worship. You know, you're living a life of worship before God. That's what I would say. If it's before God, some people are, are living this way for something else in the world, you could say. You know, they're honoring, they're blessing, they're thanking, they're rejoicing, they're praising maybe some Hollywood star, uh, some sports star. But, you know, so when I was going to go back to the point when I was thinking about this today, that we we approached, we approached last year, uh, all of December, because it's the Advent season, of what it meant to have gratitude it was a good good time of year to be looking at this word, looking at these concepts, looking at these facets from a positive point of view. All these words are very positive. Now I want us to go to the other side of it. When we're talking about cultivating, preparing a garden, a lot of times when we cultivate and prepare a garden, we first need to prepare the soil by removing rocks or weeds that would hinder the growth of these plants. So we want to, spiritually speaking, remove obstacles or hindrances that will keep us from having honor, blessing, thankfulness, 
rejoicing, or praise in our life. So hence the title, Hindrances to Thankfulness. I've just used the word thankfulness in the title of this lesson. We could say hindrances to gratitude, because thankfulness and gratitude are making up the meaning of the same word for gratitude. So hindrances to thankfulness. Let's get started then with uh, some few thoughts for introduction. A couple scriptures. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, therefore, let us constantly and at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit, where's the fruit? It's the fruit that comes forth from our lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. Uh, And that's the Amplified Classic. I like that. From the fruit of our lips should come thanksgiving that acknowledges, confesses, and glorifies the name of the Lord. Um, that's how we want to start, right? That's what we're looking for in our lives. First Thessalonians 5.18, the Amplified Version says, In every situation, no matter what the circumstances, be thankful and continually give thanks to God, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. What is the will of God? To be in an atmosphere and, and a, uh, and a uh, attitude of thanksgiving of praise, no matter what the circumstance. Not always easy to do. You know, if the baby gets sick, if the car breaks down, if you're short of money for the month, you have more month than money, as they say. Not easy to do. But that's what God would want from us. So now we're going to get into the meat of the lesson, the heart of the lesson, the weeds, the rocks, the hindrances, the obstacles to thankfulness, to gratitude, as it were. The first thing that I pulled out that I think is really um, relatable and and so um, uh, so relatable and so in time with where we're at in our culture right now is what I would say is a lack of the fear of God. Number one, a lack of the fear of God. Let me read this scripture for you and just see if these things, if you're seeing these things right now in our society, in our world, in our nation. 1 Timothy 3, 1-5. But understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times, or, or the Greek word would be fierce times, things that are really fierce is the way it says it in Greek. Dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come, difficult days that will be hard to bear. For the people will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money, impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, profane. They will be unloving, devoid of natural affection, human affection, calloused, inhumane, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, intemperate, immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of outward godliness, religion. You know, they may still be even going to church, but they've denied its power. For their conduct nullifies nullifies their claim of faith. Their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. Avoid such people and keep away from them. And that's the Amplified Classic. I thought that brought this out very in a very powerful way. Um, lack of the fear of God. These are some of the rocks and the weeds that we see. There. What's the opposite of thankfulness? Ungratefulness. You know, and I think the world is full of ungrateful people. I think that's at the heart of a, of all these things. Actually, narcissism, arrogance, um, disobedient to parents, being conceited, um, being hateful, being boastful. Uh, it's it's all uh, you know. You could say the root of that is being ungrateful. Grateful people, those that are grateful to God would not be this way at all. They would be the opposite of this. So that's under 
lack of the fear of God. Let's look at another scripture when we're talking about lack of the fear of God, a, a, an obstacle, a rock, a weed that gets in the way uh, to thankfulness, to gratefulness. Romans 1, 20 to 22. For ever since the creation of the world, his vis- invisible nature and attributes, that is, he's, his eternal power and divinity have been made intelligible and clearly discernible in and through the things that have been made, that is, his handiworks. So men are without excuse altogether, without any defense or justification. So he's saying that creation shows us that there is a God, that there is an eternal creator, right? But then verse 21, because here's what happened. When they knew and recognized him as God, see, mankind knows in their heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he's placed it within the heart of men, uh, that he's placed eternity within each man's heart. They knew this. They recognized him as God, yet they did not honor him or glorify him as God and give him thanks. They chose to look away from that. They chose to walk away from that. They chose to ignore it. They chose to deny it, right? But instead, they became futile and godless in their thinking. See, this is what he's talking about. With vain imaginings, foolish reasoning, stupid speculations, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be smart, they made simpletons of themselves. Woo, that's powerful. Lack of the fear of God. All right, we talked about all the attributes of those that were ungrateful, unthankful. And now we're talking about those that they, we, man was made so they know, you know, in your heart, if you look out at creation, that there must be a creator, that there must be a God, but they willingly chose to walk away from that, to deny it, um, you know, to put it out of their minds and hearts. Okay, so that's number one. Or point A, lack of the fear of God. Point B, why are we unthankful, ungrateful? What is an obstacle to thankfulness and gratefulness? Not comprehending the depths of our salvation. And this is a story or an account uh, with Jesus and the Pharisees and Peter, I think, was there. And then a woman, a a very... um, woman that was just transformed out of uh, a wretched life who came to Jesus one day. <clears throat> one of the Pharisees asked him, Luke seven thirty six to 48, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, see, she was a harlot, really, Uh, When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flax of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. In other words, she broke that alabaster box. Some, Some theologians say that was a year's worth of salary. And she poured them on Jesus' feet and took her hair very humbling thing, and and cleansed his feet, wiped his feet, right, uh, and anointed them. And, and that was amazing. She walked into a room of men. You know, women did not ever stand out and say anything in that culture in front of men. But here she was. She humbled herself, must have taken a lot of boldness to do that, because she had had such a powerful conversion to the Lord. That's why. She came out of a life of... um being a harlot, being a prostitute, and Jesus had, you know, transformed her, and she was showing her thankfulness. Now, when the Pharisees who invited her saw this, they said, uh, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him, for he, she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And then he says, this is a key phrase, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And another version says, he who is forgiven little loves little, but he's forgiven much loves much. And such is the story of this woman. She was there in humility, pouring herself and a a year's worth possibly uh, of ointment on his feet because she was so grateful to him. She knew what she had been saved out of. We could learn a lesson from that. Luke 17, 11 to 19 is another passage that shows uh, the depth of our salvation, or what that may or may not mean if we do not realize it, how it can be a hindrance uh, to thankfulness, you know, to being grateful. Luke 17, 11 to 19, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he met was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were cleansed, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, see the rest of them, they all had moved on, but they they had obviously been healed. And when one was aware of that, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. And see, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They did not spend time with each other. But he came back to Jesus, did he not? And and Jesus said, wow, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found, verse 18 is the key verse, was no one found to praise, to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you whole. Yes, it has. It's made you well. Yes, in more ways than one. He was healed physically, but his soul, his heart was healed. He comprehended the depth of what Jesus had done for him. And so many of us, so many of even Christians in the church are of the party of the nine. We just take for granted our salvation, what God has done for us, and we go on. You know, God answers our prayer and we we sometimes, you know, just don't thank him or just don't aren't aware enough to give him glory for that. So we're talking about obstacles or hindrances to thankfulness or gratefulness. A lack of the fear of God was A, and B, not comprehending the depths of our salvation. One more scripture, not comprehending the depths of our salvation. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body, see our body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I think we just forget that when we come to Jesus, we're not our own anymore. We are his sons and daughters. Paul talked about being so grateful to God for his conversion, I believe it was Paul, that he was Jesus is love slave, you know? He had such a love and such an appreciation for what God had done on the road to Damascus in when he was struck down and converted uh, to Jesus Christ, right? Okay, so the first two. The first one was, uh, what did we say? The first one was hindrance to, to um, being thankful or grateful was lack of a fear of God. The second one was not being aware or appreciative of the depth of our salvation. The third one I have down as works-based righteousness. One of my favorite passages, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we've been saved by faith. It's not of our own works. We can't boast about it. It's all because of what Jesus did. But then a lot of Christians forget these next verses. Verse 8, for it is by grace you're saved. We've, we've talked about that. You've been saved. And this salvation is not of yourselves, lest you should boast, not a result of good works, nor attempts to keep the law, uh, that you could take any credit for your salvation. And then verse 10, uh, verse Verse 10 is the one verse that we forget. For we are his workmanship. Why? Because we've been saved by grace. We are his, now, one one translation uses the word masterpiece or handiwork. We're his handiwork, his masterpiece, created in, who were created in? Christ Jesus. All right? We've been born from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used of God. That's what this uh, translation the Amplified says, for good works which God prepared or set on a footing or a path for us to walk, for us to do. He prearranged and made them ready for us to walk in, right? The good works. But I think a lot of times we get the cart before the horse. We think we got to have to do a lot of good works, a lot of good works first. But that's not what it says. First, you're saved by grace. It's a gift of God. And that out of that will flow um, this beautiful masterpiece that he's creating. Um, so works-based righteousness, trying to earn our way and, and you know, work our way uh, in the kingdom of God in our own strength, that gets in the way of true thankfulness. If we're doing it all in our own strength, we wouldn't think to be thankful to him. But if we know it's all him, he's the one making the masterpiece, then we're th truly thankful and we'll truly be begin to flow in the works that God desires. Luke 10, 38 to 42, another scripture. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. See, Mary and Martha, they were great friends of Jesus and their brother Lazarus as well. They sat at the Lord's table and listened, to, or Mary did, listen to his teaching. But Martha was distracted, or the King James says, cumbered or troubled about with much serving. And she went up to the Lord and she said, do you not care that my sister has left me? to serve alone? In other words, I'm the only one doing the work here, Lord. Tell her then to help me, because I got to get this all these things ready for you. I got to work, work, work. And what did the Lord answer Martha? And said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the one good per portion, which will not be taken away from her. What was that that she chose? She chose to be before the master's feet, to just sit and listen to him and take in what he was saying and be in his presence. And I think sometimes we forget that. We want to do all the works. We want to work, work, work. And it's okay to, to work um, in the kingdom of God, but that has to all be born out of sitting before him and receiving his righteousness, receiving his holiness, and then the the right kind of works will flow out. They won't be our own works, and we'll be so grateful and thankful to him. So what's the fourth one? The fourth hindrance or rock or weed that hinders our being thankful or grateful is worry. Um, Matthew 6, 26 to 34. Look at the birds of the air. They sow seed, nor reap the harvest, nor gather the crops into barns, and yet the heavenly Father keeps feeding them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by worrying, can add one hour to the length of his life? And why are you worried about clothes? See how the lilies and the wildflowers of the field grow? They do not labor. They do not spin wool to make clothing. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory and splendor was dressed like one of these. 
But if God so closes the grass of the field, which is alive and green today, and tomorrow is cut off and thrown as fuel into a furnace, will not much more uh, he clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry or be anxious, saying, what are we going to eat? What will we drink? What are we going to wear? That's what the pagans do. The Gentiles also eagerly seek these things, but do not worry. For your heavenly Father knows what you need. But first and foremost, and most importantly, aim for, strive, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, his way. And all these things will be given to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about herself, itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Wow, that is such a powerful scripture. Uh, you know, he's taking care of the birds. He's taking care of creation. Will he not take care of us? You know, that's what Jesus is saying there. Why should we worry? Another scripture that talks about not worrying is Philippians 4, 6. Paul said, be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, it means to just pour out your cares and your worries With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pour it all on him. Let your requests be made known to him. Uh, The the Greek is a picture of rolling it all upon him, rolling it all over upon him. That's number four. Or that's, uh, yes, uh, rock or hindrance four is worry. Let's look at another one. Misplaced desires. That is envying coveting. These are misplaced desires. Do you know when you're desiring something, uh, maybe from, that you see somebody else has, like your neighbor maybe bought a shiny new truck, and you begin to obsess about that and say, I wish I could buy that. I wish I could have that, but I'm not in a place to have that. You're not, you're not being thankful. You're not, you know, that, ta- that is a hindrance or like a weed that chokes out thankfulness, right? Psalm 37, 1 to 4. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass. See, don't be envious of the guys and gals in the world. Some of them are wrongdoers, some of them aren't, but that have the truck or that have the what you think is a better house or a better job. Don't don't get all frustrated and focused on that. You know, the last verse told us that God would take care of us, did it not? And now we're saying, uh, don't fret because of those people, but trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and befriend faithfulness, delight, or take joy in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Don't worry yourself because of evildoers, and do not be envious of wrongdoers. See, we get envious sometimes, and our focus is off the Lord. Our focus is, you know, it's easy to see what we don't have, is it not? That's what that's what people tend to do, then see all the good things that we do have, right? James 4, 3 to 5 is another scripture. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Oh, I want that truck. You know, I want that bigger house, Lord. Not that those things are wrong in themselves, but if that's your focus, then he goes on to say, you ask because you do not receive. Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. See, what are your passions? You know, is your passion God or is your passion to have all these things that you see out there in the world? You know, not that having things are always wrong, but there there has to be a balance, right? There, we have to seek him first and he'll add the things to us that we need, right? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hate toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose, as the scripture says, he who yearns earnestly over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? See, we want to yearn over the things of God, over having his spirit within us. I want you to, um, as you listen to this lesson, after we're done with this lesson today, 1 Kings 21 would be a very good account, a very good story in the Old Testament for you to read. 1 Kings 21 about Naboth's 
vineyard. He had a beautiful vineyard. That's what he had. He had cultivated and planted it. And so the king Ahab comes along, and he's got all kind of vineyards. He's got all kind of wealth and riches, yet he sees that beautiful vineyard, and he desires it. He envies it. He covets it so badly that he makes an offer to Naboth. Naboth can't says he can't sell it because it's been in his family line, and he you know, he can't do that because it's part of his heritage. So, you know, Ahab, who was a wicked northern king, went home and he pouted like a little child. He stewed and brooded about it. And his wife Jezebel comes along and says, well, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it for you, uh, husband king, honey. I'll take care of it. Let me just take care of it. I'll get you that vineyard. So she had uh, she was evil. She was devious. And she set a plot against Naboth where they brought him into court and uh, people charged him wrongly. He wasn't guilty. Just kind of like what they're doing now uh, with, I believe, with uh, President, former President uh, Trump. And that's just extra credit here that I'll say. That's the same thing that's happening today. Charging him wrongly. Uh, they charged Naboth wrongly. And uh he was found guilty, though he wasn't guilty. They took him out and stoned him, and uh, the vineyard became Ahab's vineyard. But in the end, the prophet brought judgment and said, you know, you're going to suffer the most horrible death, you know. And uh, he repented for a while. He was scared. But in the end, you know, that's what happened to him. I think some wild beast tore him apart. Romans 12, 15, 1 Corinthians 12, 25 to 26 this gives us, uh, if you read those scriptures, Romans 12, 15, 1 Corinthians 12, 25 to 26, gives us um, the attitude that Christians should have. When we see our brothers, you know, rejoicing, you know, God has done something great in them, uh, maybe given them a, a blessing like a new house, maybe blessed them in ministry, maybe given them a new position of ministry. We should rejoice with them, just like we'd rejoice for ourselves. Or when when there's something bad has happened to them, we should mourn with them, like it had happened to us. You know that I was told once by a man of God that that is a true test uh, of maturity. One of the true tests of maturity is if you see your brother or sister really move ahead in God. Maybe they're given a position. Um, Maybe you're in the same church and they're elevated to a position of leadership or a position of teaching or whatever it might be. And that's something you'd been wanting to do, but you weren't, you weren't tapped for that position. Are you able to rejoice with them and pat them on the back and rejoice in such a way as if it happened to you? Or do you find yourself a bit, you know, envious, uh, maybe a bit, you know, upset about it. Wow. If we can rejoice with our brothers and sisters as much as we'd rejoice for ourselves in, in being promoted in something, that's maturity. And then God will come along later and promote you, right? That's what he'll do. Let's look at uh, letter F. What is another hindrance or weed that will choke out thankfulness or gratefulness? Bitterness. Bitterness, that's a big one. <clears throat> James 3, 6 to 12. James 3, 6 to 12 talks about the tongue being a little member yet set on fire. With, with it, we bless God and we curse God. And I'm not reading the whole thing. You can read it, James 3, 6 to 12. But I will highlight verse 11 for you. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter water? And and we're, we're, we're a fountain. We're a spring where the wells of living water are at. That's what the spirit is likened to. And can we have both bitter and sweet waters flowing out of us? No, you cannot. You can't be sweet and bitter. You can't flow in God and then rail on somebody, you know. Hebrews 12, 12 to 15, Therefore, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. In other words, come to God. You know, you need strength. You're weak. You're weary. You know, uh, you need strength. Make straight paths for your feet. You know, maybe they're, uh, you're in such a bad way 
such bad shape that, um, you know, you, you're, you're kind of hobbling, you know, and, and come to God so that you can be healed, you know, come to the, the giver of life to be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, which with which no one without it, nobody will see God. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And then he adds at the end that no bitterness springs up and causes trouble because by it, because of, because of by that root of bitterness, many are defiled. And I will say many won't be healed. Many won't be strengthened. You know, if you cannot keep that root of bitterness, that weed of bitterness out of your life. The last one that I want to go over for you, uh, the last last hindrance or rock that I listed are circumstances. Oh, sometimes we let circumstances take us out of thanksgiving, take us out of thankfulness. Do we not? I really believe that we do. And I'll, I'm just going to list a bunch of examples for you and maybe touch on them real shortly. I found a lot of circumstances with men of God in the Bible um, that they could have let them let that take them out of being thankful or being grateful. The example of Job, you know, wow, what a trial he went through. He lost his lands. He lost his family. He lost everything. I think a couple of times, actually, you know, the, the, the enemy, the devil was allowed to do that to him. And God said, watch Satan. He's going to, he's going to be okay. Uh, You're allowed to do anything to him but take his life. And they even, in the end, he had boils all over his body. And his wife by then had given up. And she said, just curse God and die. But what did he say? You know, should we not accept both the good and the negative? You know, shouldn't we accept both those things? Not that we praise God for all the boils and the bad things and losing our family, but we still accept it and we praise God through it. And in the end, God said that Job was blameless in all these trials, right? And then God restored all these things to him. Another example, Daniel. So Daniel 6.10, Daniel 6.10, he was praying three times daily. And do you know what that earned him from uh, the Babylon government? Uh, What that earned him was a trip to the lion's den. (laughs) <laughs> of course, we know the end of what happened there. God shut the lion's mouth, right? And was a testimony to the king, right? The example of Jonah, Jonah 2.9. He did not want to go preach to the Ninevites, right? And so he tried to run from God. He got on his ship. A great storm came up. He knew what was happening. He rethought what he should do, that he should have gone to Nineveh. And he said, cast me into the ocean. So you guys can live. So your ship won't be sank, you know, won't sink. And so a whale swallowed him up and he was in the whale's belly three days, three nights and spit up on land. And then he went and preached the gospel, right? That was a circumstance. (laughs) Acts 27, Paul was shipwrecked with a group as a prisoner. He was shipwrecked with a group of Roman soldiers and sailors and other prisoners uh, Acts 16.25, Acts 16.25, whoops, uh, let's go, that's Acts 27 I'm talking about right now, okay, he was shipwrecked, and in the end, they all, he told them what to do, you know, and they all ended up safe, and it says, it shows him on land there in the end, breaking bread as they're ready to eat and giving thanks to God, you know, he trusted God, and he told them, even though there was great fear that they thought they'd all die in the great storm, that God's hand was upon them and saved them because Paul was on that ship, right? So he was thanking God in the circumstance. The other one that I uh, that I skipped over was Paul and Silas in jail, Acts 16.25. What did they do? Did they get all upset and angry because they were thrown in jail and woe is me? No, they began to rejoice and praise God. And the angel came and set them free, right? And there's other examples. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, right, by God. And that's Daniel 4, 28 to 37. He was humbled by God. He was up there on his 
in his palace out there on the walkway outside of his palace up high on a walkway, uh, bragging about how he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. He was the king of all kings of the world. Um, but God caused a spirit of craziness to come upon him to where he became so crazy. He was out there in the fields and the grass, eating grass like uh, an animal. And uh, he became humbled. And then he gave God glory, right? Let me read this last scripture for circumstances. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. Though the frig tree shall not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You know, there's no fruit on the vine. There's no figs on the trees. There's no food in the field, right? There's nothing to feed my flocks with. What, yet what does the prophet say? Or the farmer say, maybe, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my my feet like the deer's feet. He makes me tread or travel on high places. You know, I'm still trusting God, even though all these things are uh, coming upon me. You know, it doesn't seem like I have enough food. It doesn't seem like I could take care of my animals or my family, right? And uh, who knows what we're in for in, in these months ahead, you know, in these years ahead what will take place. That is a scripture to read Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18, to read again and to highlight. Highlight it. Mark it in your Bible. Refer to it often. So let's get to the conclusion. What is the antidote to all these weeds and rocks that try to keep us from being thankful or grateful? How do we then uh, move forward so we're not that way. I said, the first thing I said here for conclusion is go back to the December podcast, three podcasts uh, where I went into detail about cultivating, cultivating uh, gratitude. We talked about um, honor, blessing, thankfulness, rejoicing, and praise, and, and um loving kindness and favor. We talked about all those attributes and facets of God's nature that define gratitude. That's that's how we begin to cultivate it. That's how we begin to replace those weeds and rocks in our in our spiritual garden, so to speak. And finally, let's go to this. We're we're coming up here on time. I think we read this in the last lessons before, but we'll read it again. This is so good. How do we begin to combat hindrances to thankfulness or gratitude. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brethren, Philippians 4.8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Meditate on these things. Practice these things. Practice being honorable, giving God honor. Practice blessing. Practice rejoicing. Practice praise. Then let's go to one more thing, and this is what I believe we'll come back to on the next podcast, as we will hopefully then wrap up uh, the, the, um, the lessons on gratitude, cultivating an attitude of gratitude. Um, we're going to talk about this the next time. We're going to talk about Psalm 103, Psalm 103, which many commentators say is the Thanksgiving Psalm, the Thanksgiving Psalm, Psalm 103. Let's just read down through a few things that I've highlighted, but we're going to get into it in detail next podcast, next uh, session. The Thanksgiving Psalm, Psalm 103, gives us some praiseworthy qualities to think about. Verses 1 to 6. Verse 3, he forgives all our iniquities. Verse 2, 
or I'm sorry, verse 3 also says, this is the second one. The first one is he he forgives our iniquities. That's verse 3. The second one, verse 3, he heals all our diseases. The third one, verse 4, he redeems or saves our life from destruction, from spiritual destruction, and many of us from other things that have maybe befallen us, a disease, maybe a car wreck. I, 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 I could give a testimony about some of these things. Um, number four, verse four, he crowns us with loving kindness. And that's what gratitude means. One of the words for gratitude uh, is loving kindness. In, in the Greek, charis is the word that's used. All right. Um, number five. This is verse 5 of Psalm 103. He satisfies our mouth with good things. He gives us things, the uh, fruit of our lips to praise God with, right? Number 6, verse 6. He executes righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So, practice thankfulness. Practice gratefulness. Practice giving thanks. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his name. Uh, That's what it says, I believe, as we read through Psalm 103. Acknowledge and be grateful to God for all his benefits and favors that he's shown you. Celebrate publicly God's divine favor and blessing toward you. Don't just keep it to yourself. Tell your neighbor. Tell other saints. Share your testimony. Remember the real day uh, of Thanksgiving. The real day of Thanksgiving, what is it? It's every day. Every day is a day of Thanksgiving, or it should be. I mean, I I developed these lessons long ago, and I've added on to them here uh, at Thanksgiving time. But what is the day of Thanksgiving? It's every day. Every day can be a day of Thanksgiving and gratefulness. Um. Believe God, this is the last point here, to put a feeling of gratefulness in your heart. Ask him now. I mean, you might not feel anything right away, but as you begin to practice these things, as you begin to honor God, bless God, thank God, rejoice and praise God, and think of his loving kindness, gradually, as it gets in your heart, it'll affect your feelings, and you'll begin to have a feeling of gratefulness in your heart. Practicing thankfulness. Another point, 2 Peter 2.9. Remember who you are. 2 Peter 2.9. You are, that's you, son and daughter of God. You are a royal generation, a chosen generation. I'm sorry. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's who you are. That's your identity. Why? That you should show forth the praises of God all these things we've talked about, who has called you to his marvelous light, that you should show forth, I keep saying it, loving kindness, honor, glory, blessing, thanksgiving, rejoice and rejoicing and praise. That's what your life should be made up of. You know, every day is a day of thanksgiving. Every day is a good day to rejoice in the Lord. I don't care what you're experiencing. You may be in a ship and get shipwrecked. You may have a sick baby. You may have, uh, you know, just received a great, um, you know, a great uh, promotion at work. Whatever your circumstances, you can thank God as well. The result, uh, praise and worship. Second Chronicles 5, read that chapter, 1 to 14. Second Chronicles 5, 1 to 14 for the result. This is when Solomon's temple was finished and God uh, came down as Solomon prayed to dedicate it to God and fill that whole temple. What's going to be the result? God's going to come down and fill your temple because we know now in this new covenant, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This was our session today. This was our lesson today. Hindrances or obstacles, rocks and weeds that uh, keep us from being thankful or grateful. Um, And I'll just hit them again. A lack of the fear of God, not comprehending the depths of what God has saved you from, trying to work your way into God's righteousness, worry. We talked about worry, did we not? What else? What else? Worry. We talked about, um, let's see, 
I got to get back to my notes. Worry. Um, Workspace righteousness. Worry. Um, envying. And uh, desiring. Having misplaced desires because we take our eyes off of God. Bitterness is, an, is another one we talked a lot about. And circumstances. Circumstances. You know, that can knock us out of our way. You know, child gets sick, car breaks down. And then we, we went through Psalm 103 a bit to give you kind of an antidote. And we're going to come back next week and we're going to really delve into that Psalm when we come back again uh, to the Kingdom Corner podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let me pray for us, Father. Father, give us grateful and thankful hearts. Father, we cast all our care and our worries upon you. We cast these things before you, Lord, that might be a hindrance or a weed that would want to choke out our thankfulness, our praise, our rejoicing in you. We, we give our worries to you, Lord. We give our anything that might cause us to think about how we've been mistreated and begin to become bitter. Lord, we ask you to take care of everything. Uh, we want our desires to be solely for you. Uh, keep our focus on you so we don't desire the wrong things. Lord, take care of those that are circumstances now today are trying for them. Perhaps they, they their car is broken down. Their baby is sick. They don't have enough provision. Lord, we give these people and these things and these uh, trials over to you, Lord. And we ask you to come and minister to the people today, those that listen today, tomorrow, and in the future. Uh, may we truly practice thankfulness and gratefulness and see that there are answers to every thing that would get in the way and be a hindrance to us being thankful and grateful to you. Help the people today. Come upon them and encourage them today. In Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. Well, thank you, my friend. We will come back to Psalm 103, um, the Thanksgiving Psalm, and really get into that as a conclusion to all these five or six sessions on cultivating uh, an attitude of gratitude. May you be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.